Hi, I'm the person whose closet is put in color order, but I'll also pick up an earthworm without thinking twice. In fact, I did yesterday. <laughs> it needed my help. I'm not afraid to be a little messy. Human nature is messy, but nature nature can help us embrace it. I love the brand seventh generation. Their laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with the power of bioenzymes. That's exciting. You wipe your hands on your pants after you pick up an earthworm. Seventh generation is like, don't worry, hug a dirty tree, huff some bark. It's good for you. That is the power of seventh generation. Find laundry detergent and other laundry products at seventhgeneration.com. I love worms. So I have four nieces and nephews, and I was talking to my sister about IXL. And IXL Learning is this fun online program for kids, and it covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. My sister and my nephew love it. The way it works is it's powered by AI, so IXL gives the right help to each kid. And IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Maybe you've been looking into private tutoring, but it's out of the budget, or this is a big school year for your kiddo. So make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And all of these listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash ologies. So visit IXL.com slash ologies to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Oh, hey, it's that friend who can't sit at a diner table without making modular sculptures with the half and half creamers. Can't not do it. Allie Ward back with another episode of ologies. Okay, great news, kiddos. I got some news for you. You ready? This episode is not about ticks. Yes, are you stoked? Now that we have covered some basic health and safety, i.e. me just reminding you, check those crevices, kind of like a flight attendant demonstrating an inflatable vest. But now, you know, let's get the summer show on the road. There are sprinklers to run through. There's some campfire smoke to dodge, some sandal tans to get, barbecues, reunions. Okay, but before we hit the road, let's make a pit stop at Thank you, Bill, to say thanks to all the folks supporting this podcast on Patreon. I literally could not make the show without you. Thank you to all the folks wearing Ologies merch on your actual physical bodies and talking up the show to your fam while you make pies. Thank you to everyone who for zero dollars rates and subscribes and leaves the reviews for me to read because you know I do like a lady creep. And then I read you one aloud, such as this fresh one from Crazy Dog Mom 1227, who compared me to a gently excited Richard Simmons, but for science instead of high kicks, and said that I'll teach you about all sorts of things, especially things that you didn't think you'd find interesting. Here's looking at you ticks, they say. Also, thank you, fabulous, with four A's for the review. You have my permission to cry in the car now on the way to work. Okay, cabinology. Woo! Oh boy, howdy. Let me say right now, I love cabins. I think I'm obsessed with them. Like, I look for cheap deals to rent them. I have dreams about them. I Pinterest them. I don't Pinterest anything. I covet them. I admire them. And in fact, this past week, I found a photo in my phone from five years ago I took of one of this guest's books without even knowing who he was or that I would meet him. I follow many hashtag cabin porn Instagrams, which has everything to do with cabins, literally nothing to do with naked people. I see pictures of cabins that I want to hug too hard, like something cute that you'd squeeze to the point of peril. So let's dive into a subject I could not be more excited about. Okay, so the word cabin comes from the Latin for hut, and P.S. cabana is related. How did I never realize that? Duh. Wow. Okay. So cabinology is a relatively new but established term. It was coined in relation to this ologist's work and career. I first became aware of this ology, blissfully enough, actually, while in a lodge in the wilds of Montana. It was the summer of 2017. I was surrounded by my huge, weird family that I love. And side note, my dad is one of 11 kids, and so the Ward family reunions... They're roughly half the size of like a summer music festival. They're a party. And I was drinking an evening margarita out of a chipped coffee mug and the sounds of my elders crushing each other in a pinnacle game two tables over. I thumbed through this outdoorsy magazine. I saw the byline of this very guest touting himself as a cabinologist. I was like, hot damn. I vowed to myself, I will find this cabinologist when I finally launch that ologies podcast in my future and I will interview him. And so indeed I did. And you're about to listen to it. The stuff dreams are made of. So this spring, I made my way to Minneapolis, Minnesota, where his headquarters of his architecture firm are. It's Sala, which he said means special room in Italian. And it also stands for the School of Architecture and Landscape Architecture. So I went up some breezy stairs to his crisp, 
downtown office filled with light wood and clean lines, high ceilings, a lot of airy white, and we cabin chatted. So we cover what is a cabin? When does a cabin just become a house? And why are they so cozy? And what makes cabins horror flick fodder. How is a summer cabin visit different than a winter one? How do you build one? What about those weird franking cabins built out of old stuff from a bunch of different buildings? How big should the windows be? And which way should they face? How do you even design a cabin? And in all caps, bold italics, why are cabins the best? So come watch the sunset, drag a chair to the fire pit, Pour a mug of whatever's handy and breathe in an episode with architect, author, expert, and a warm, bright lantern of a person, cabinologist Dale Mulfinger. And I might make you scooch into this just sure. a little bit more. Yeah. These are like stage mics, so they're like, get on up in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you are a cabinologist. I am a cabinologist. It was anointed upon me <laughs> by an external person, actually a radio personality, who upon hearing that I was researching cabins with students at the university, he... Uh, announced on the radio that I must be a cabinologist. <laughs> so I consider myself having an instantaneous PhD. <laughs> How long ago is that? Uh, that was probably about 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Were you like, well, I'm changing my business cards? Uh, that's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I adopted it immediately and I've been using it since. And I wrote a book called Cabinology after it. And mm-hmm. I always credit uh, this person who. Uh, you know, who, who gave me that name. I, I didn't invent it for myself. <laughs> Quick aside, credit goes to Minnesota Garage Logic radio host Joe Satchery for dropping that C word so, so many years ago. Now, as for Dale's bibliography, it's extensive. So between designing cabins, he's also managed to churn out a bunch of books, including The Cabin, Inspiration for the Classic American Getaway, The Getaway Home, Family Cabin, Inspiration for Camps, Cottages, and Cabins, Cabinology, a handbook to your private hideaway. So in his author bio, he is credited as a cabinologist. The dude has earned it. You've been a cabinologist for, you know, at least 15 years, but how long have you been a cabinologist in practice, not just in title? Well, probably about 30 years ago, uh, as a part of my architectural practice, which we design residential homes um, I was asked to do my first cabin design, mm-hmm. and I realized then that I didn't grow up, although I grew up in cabin world, I Minnesota and Wisconsin, I didn't grow up with a cabin of my family background, so I had not spent much time there. Mm-hmm. And as I might often do, when, some, when I get asked to design something I'm not used to, I try and do some research. Mm-hmm. And in this instance, I thought, well, it'd be fun to do some research with my students for, at the university. So I hustled a few students uh, over to do a summer class. And the essence of the summer class was, well, let's go out into cabin land. And every student, and myself included, would have to document 10 cabins. And out of that 10 cabins, we would say, which cabin feels more (laughs) cabin-like than any of the rest (laughs) and why? Uh And so uh, as I was telling them, search for the quintessential cabin. Mm -hmm. So we did that, and we, I think, learned a little bit along that process. And a good friend of mine who um, had was editor of a local magazine, said, well, if you find anything interesting in this process, why don't you write an article in my magazine? Uh, So I wrote my first article, and then I wrote my second article, and third and fourth, and ultimately 72 articles. Oh, my God. Over 12 years. (laughs) Heck, yeah. Always researching. and, And so these were little brief vignettes about some cabin that interested me for some reason. So... Uh, vertical log. We're all familiar with horizontal log cabins, but mm-hmm. all of a sudden, there are. I notice some that have vertical logs, which turns out that it's an old French trapper's method. So coming into Minnesota in the northern part of the country and in northern Wisconsin, you have French trappers who made quick cabins 
uh, and the vertical log technique allowed them essentially single-handedly to make a simple shelter. Okay, so side note, I looked these up, and apparently vertical log cabins are also easier to build because you can use a bunch of 10-foot tall logs up and down instead of having to find and drag perfectly straight 20 to 40-foot logs to lay horizontally. Now, in addition to vertical logs just being more slimming than horizontal logs. They were also tested by time. So before the French fur trappers traipsed about harvesting beavers and such, indigenous folks like the Yerrick tribes and the Chinook peoples had been building vertical plank houses out of cedar in the Pacific Northwest for thousands of years. They knew what was up. And that tradition sustained itself for a while. Um, so you know, finding out why for vertical log, who did it, that it, you know, all those things are fun. It's fun to see uh, somebody turn a, a a building that you wouldn't expect to be a cabin into a cabin, a church or a you know small church or a school or whatever, a box car, a train car, oh. a caboose. Mm-hmm. You know, so that so a lot of cabins are inventive as to somebody's got a crazy idea and they say, oh, that'd be fun as a cabin, and so they just try it. <laughs> Uh, metal containers, buildings. Mm -hmm. So Dale explained two things that separate cabins from houses are one, cabins typically don't have garages and the master bedrooms don't usually have ensuite bathrooms. So rather than hide away in your big bedroom, using your toilet away from the rest of the family, all the bedrooms tend to branch off a main living space so people can spend this time in nature bonding together and being lovingly in each other's business. Um, So privacy is not a particularly big issue in a cabin. Tell me a little bit about square footage. Can you have a 2,000 square foot cabin? Yes. Okay, you can. Sure. So what makes it a cabin? Uh, I think what makes it a cabin are some of its attributes, how how it flows. Uh, whether it captures views or things that are important to the land that that you're connected to. But yes, you can have a larger structure that is a cabin, uh, maybe because you're gathering a lot of people there. So my last book that I wrote was called The Family Cabin, and it probably has projects in it that range from 400 square feet to 2,500 square feet, practically. And some cabins are created for extended family. So I have one for two sisters. They're each married, so they have husbands. They each have four kids, so now we're talking about whatever that is, 12 people. Grandma and grandpa show up. There's 14. You can't do that in a 400-square-foot structure, so Mm -hmm. you need more space, more place for the activities of those youth as they're growing and changing, and they're eventually bringing the Boy Scout troop with them or whatever, so... Yes, cabins can be of quite a variety of sizes. At some point, when they get too large, we might call them a lodge. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. The family lodge. Yeah, I, I wonder if there's a lodgeology out there. There you go. I'm going to yeah. have to look into it. Somebody's going to have to step into the, the <laughs> void. Okay, side note. I found one record for lodgeology from 1961, and I wanted to tell you about it. It's from the University of Montana when the Student Union Gathering Center was called The Lodge, and lodgeology was deemed by students the most popular course in sport on campus. One student said, the most popular phases of the lodgeology course are smoking 101 and advanced time-killing 201, which I suppose nowadays, I guess, would be upgraded to introduction to vaping, perhaps extra credit, fixing the cultural and climatological mess we have inherited. Not to get too dark. Anyway, enough of lodges. Where are cabins? Now, in terms of the culture of cabins in this part of the country, because there are more lakes, are there more cabins? Is this the best place to be a cabinologist? I think this is one of the premier places to be a cabinologist Mm -hmm. because we really, really do have an incredible cabin culture here, particularly in the Twin Cities. Mm -hmm. And we go out to the lakes of Minnesota and or the lakes of Wisconsin because although we may be better known for our lakes, Wisconsin actually has quite a number of them as well. Uh, So we probably have more cabin users per capita than any other part of the country. Um, And part of that is that um, when you're on the coast, for instance, where there certainly are getaway places, often when you have a place on the coast, it might be referred to as a cottage, Mm -hmm. a seaside cottage rather than a cabin. 
cabins plus etymology. I'm dying right now. If you can't hear this in my voice, I was like starry-eyed floating in a cloud this entire interview. Dale Mulfinger is like the Beyonce of cabin designers. There are some names that we com- that cabin competes with. Mm-hmm. And if you go into the Adirondacks or in Upper New England, you will come across the name camp, which is commonly used for what we we here in the Midwest and or further west might refer to as a cabin. And the name camp shows up again down in the bayous of Louisiana. I'm not quite sure of the origins of that other than I think a lot of cabins in their in the early days in New England were created as a part of an ensemble of many structures and were part of what we might think of as a camp environment. Oh, like maybe there's a main lodge and then some outbuildings that are the camps. right. And also the name cottage shows up. So you can take the same structure and slide it first out of Minnesota. It might be called a cabin (laughs) in Minnesota, but head further east and get to Michigan. It might be called a cottage, particularly if it's along Lake Michigan. Uh, and then if you hit the Adirondacks, it'll be a camp. And then if you slide it all the way to the <laughs> coast of Maine, it'll be back to being a cottage again. And what are some of your favorite styles of cabin? A-frame, log cabin, modern? All of the above. All of the above. I, re- I really am fascinated by the variety. So no one singular thing stands out. I'm as fascinated with an A-frame or a log cabin, or a very contemporary structure, or one made out of containers. Um, yeah, they all interest me, and 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 I love designing all of them. So it's not just a matter of recording what others have done, but also uh, being faced with the challenge of design and trying to trying to determine with my clients what seems most applicable for them and their situation. So he likes to freestyle as well as hark back to traditional designs of yore. Now, speaking of history, Dale grew up on a dairy farm. And according to a 2013 article in the Star Tribune, he had said about dairy farming that when he was a kid and his blue ribbon yearling died, he knew that he didn't want to be a farmer. But he was great at drafting, so he enrolled in the Institute of Technology at the University of Minnesota in a time when you had to be really good at rulers and pencils and precision. There was no Command Z. There's no undo buttons. And getting to your design career, when did you start in architecture? When did you know that you were an architect? I went into, I went into the university wondering what I might be doing, but I was had excelled in drafting in high school. And so started into architecture in, 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 at the university and gradually got to enjoy it more and more and more and did quite well by the time I was exiting school, not so well when I started. But, <laughs> um, and then I worked for the first decade, actually, in urban design. So nothing to do with small little buildings, but rather city planning and large-scale uh, structures. Um, and then um, probably in about 10 years out into my working career, I started gradually to work on smaller things. When I got to houses, I really enjoyed being invited to dinner after you were all done. (laughs) So out of that came a a firm, which is now Sala, Mm -hmm. uh, and an initial partner, Sarah Susenka, who um, wrote a book called The Not-So-Big House, which made her kind of famous. And uh, so we had a pretty swift start as a career in, in her and I and creating a firm that that does houses. Mm-hmm. And out of houses came the, you know, the possibility of doing a second home for someone, which then led me to Cabin World. Okay, so quick side note. I was wondering, how many people have a second home, though? It's, just, it's so hard to get just one. So I looked it up, and according to 2017 stats, 9.3 million Americans live in a house that has a second home. So a very slim percentage. But I did some digging, and one figure estimated that folks in the state of Minnesota are three times more likely to own a cabin or a lake house than the rest of Americans. But the average age of cabin ownership is 68. And no one's quite sure what's going to happen. Are millennials going to take over the cabins? Are they going to sell them? Who knows? But Minnesota is the land of 10,000 lakes. That's a lot of shoreline to cozy up to. So Dale's in the right place. But what about the rest of the country or world? Are there places in the country where it's more common to have a, a house that you would go enjoy the seasons in? Is there something maybe about the cold weather that you really appreciate the snow or really appreciate the spring or summer? Well, I think people who appreciate being outdoors in the snow 
whether you're cross-country skiing, downhill skiing, or ice skating or whatever, uh, those people enjoy their cabin year-round. Um, or if they just enjoy sitting by the fire reading a book when the s- snow is falling outside. Obviously, if you have a cabin in the Rocky Mountains, it might be because you really enjoy skiing and therefore you've chosen a location next to Big Sky mm-hmm. you know, or something like that. Um, here in the Midwest, people seem to vary. Either they are truly just one-season cabin goers or they actually enjoy going year-round as I do. I love the solitude of winter. Um, and some some cross-country skiing, uh, even though it might be minus 20 degrees outside. <laughs> I know. I don't know how you guys – I literally don't know how you survive. As a Californian, I'm like, I, I, the amount of layers. If I could grow a beard, though, I think I would be uh, – That's helpful, yeah. <laughs> Come on. I'm Italian. Do you have a favorite cabin that you've designed? I know it's got to be so hard, but it was something that's really memorable or was a challenge? The next one. The next one? <laughs> uh, no, the, I think one that I did up on uh, Madeline Island where people wanted a unique retreat and and one of the couples said, I want something quite unique for me. And I designed a 100-foot long wall with a portal in the middle. And after you pass through the wall, you, you step into a glass pavilion <gasps> and look out over Lake Superior. Um, and then if you want to go into a private space, you walk down inside the wall to a blue box where you have a private sleeping area. It's a very unconventional structure, and it probably still stands out in my repertoire of work as as a very unique structure. And it's all about the notion of a retreat, having a phenomenal place of a retreat that leaves the other world behind. And I think that's that's one of the things that when you say, can a cabin be a year-round house? One of the challenges with that is cabins often work best when they are the other world mm. that when they're not the everyday they're kind of like the mistress of the house world i guess, I guess so <laughs> yes sweetie it's a side piece and does a cabin have to have a fireplace no it doesn't no. and in fact wood stoves can be um, um an economical way of having fire without say having the cost of a fireplace mm-hmm. and wood stoves are very effective in terms of really heating space do they do they have to have fire? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I mean a cabin can. I, we did a. Uh, we've done cabins without any fire in them, and it helps with the insurance rates if you don't have it. <laughs> and what do you think about, you know, in the last few years, the tiny house movements and tinier spaces? Where do you feel like cabins fit in with that, or is it a completely different thing? Well, there's an overlap between tiny houses and cabins. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the tiny house movement is a fleeting movement and it'll disappear as fast as it arrived Mm -hmm. because I think resale on it is challenging. Um, So much like uh, dome homes and other fads that we jump into every once in a while, I think this one will leave. But but I think cabins will remain and having a tiny structure be a cabin Mm -hmm. uh, will still be out there. So I, um, I, and I think tiny homes as far as as actually being one's home and living in it 36 365 days a year, um, you know, it'll be questionable whether people do that in the long haul or whether it'll just be for two years of their life or a segment of their life and then they'll move on to whatever. I will say in researching tiny home living, a little abode tends to cost between twenty dollars to $30,000 on average to build. And in looking this up, I stumbled upon an article about a woman who built a 196-square-foot tiny house out of an old $500 RV, some upcycled wood pallets, very resourceful, but then she adopted a Great Dane, a 150-pound Great Dane to live in it with her. Oh, then she got married, and then they had a kid, and I had to stop reading in the middle of this article and just pace the floor and do like a meditation because woman what? So sometimes life throws you curveballs in the form of quadruple the number of people living in a space the size of a kitchen. Also, I asked Dale about this Danish concept that's all about cozy living all year round, but I had to ask my Swedish friend, Simone Jetsch, aka the Gizmology episode Gizmologist, aka the host of Shitty Robots. Also, she just turned her Tesla Model 3 into a truck and named it Truckla. It's glorious. I had to ask her how to pronounce this word that looks like Higgy. She helped me out. So it's pronounced Higge. Higge. I know that you have talked about cabins and huga 
And um, I would love to know a little bit about that concept and how you think it relates to the feeling of a cabin, not just the architecture, but the emotions of being in that kind of retreat. Well, I think Huga comes from a comes from Scandinavia, mm-hmm. and and it's been common in Scandinavia to live in small space. They don't really need luxurious houses um, in Scandinavia or haven't felt they've needed it. So they have defined ways of using space uh, that are are effective, and therefore they o- the the notion of hookah overlaps with the notion of of cabins as we understand them. So how you use that space. And how you not say over decorate it, mm-hmm. over you know um, fill it with too many things. Um, I think there there is some common over, overlap. I must confess that I'm rather new to the term huga, <laughs> and so I've been been playing with it, if you will, and doing a little writing about it. But I'm it, I'm probably not as well versed in it as others might be in this country. Yeah, I I came across it pretty recently myself. I have a friend who um who married a Norwegian woman and so their Instagram is just rife with Huga in the winter and so I'm like learning about what it is but just shout out here to the Lepidopterology episodes butterfly expert Phil Torres and his charming and kind new bride Celia Danielson just get all up in their Instagrams for some breezy summer living some really high quality cozy winterness they got it on lock okay speaking of how do you feel that uh, social media culture or Instagram culture has maybe changed the way we appreciate these remote buildings or structures or retreats? Well, one big difference is that we now can rent structures everywhere. Mm-hmm. And part of that is made accessible through social media. So we can now not just have our, say, our own cabin, but we can rent everybody, anybody on everybody else's cabin almost anywhere in the world. And I think that's really changed. Uh, and then we can immediately share that experience with an innumerable number of people. <laughs> so, um, the, you know, those are probably the big things that, that have changed through the media as we understand it today. Are you okay? Are you okay with that? With that? With cabin sharing? And or do you sure? Feel like, okay. Sure, no, absolutely. In fact, I think one of the phenomena about cabins is that we feel much more comfortable with sharing our cabin with others than we say do our home. So we're less likely to to offer up our home as a place for strangers to stay in. Whereas cabins traditionally were places where maybe we weren't a lot, we weren't accommodating strangers, but we were accommodating Uncle Harry and <laughs> cousin Beth and and the co- colleague we work with are you know so we've often shared our cabin with many di- diverse people. Mm-hmm. Do you have any memories of being in a cabin that are some of your favorites? Well, I think snow falling and sitting quietly reading a book with a fire crackling and my wife's good cooking smells in the background is probably one of my best experiences or looking out the window and seeing the five or six deer that are eating the corn I just set out there. Uh, you know, those are, are some of the best. And I think then uh, I've had an opportunity to uh, gather larger family groups together, uh, not necessarily in my cabin because my cabin is a bit too small for that, but through the borrowing of friends' cabins or renting a friend's cabin, I've been able to gather, say, 16 of my wife's family members together. And that made for a special uh, occasion. Okay, quick aside, I made you a list of things you can do in a cabin this summer. You can play dominoes, you can read a book, you can gossip, you can ask older people important questions about their lives, you can carve spoons, you can learn to needlepoint, you can roast marshmallows, you can write a list of all the things you want to do in your life, you can make your friends all tell stories about how they met each other, you can enjoy a poem, you can bake a pie, you can sip coffee out of one of those metal enamel mugs that they sell in camping stores, you can write a short story, you could learn to fry a fish, you could nap, you can throw your phone into the lake, you can quit your job, you can disappear from the internet, you can live off the land like that Walden Thoreau guy, hope you don't get arrested, you can wish on a shooting star. I also like playing Rummy Cube. Okay, now let's say you want a taste of that cabin life, but maybe a little closer. You could fashion a garbin, which sounds like a portmanteau for garbage and bin, but it's actually a cabin you fashion in the rafters above a garage. A garbin. Now, what about a straight-up cabin in your backyard? Is that okay? I've certainly recorded cabins that occur in the backyard 
of somebody's home. Now, they might think of that cabin as a man cave to escape to (laughs) or her writing, uh, you know, place that she can retreat to for writing. We call that a scriptorium. Oh, I've heard it called a she shed. Yes, and a she shed. So I think that's not uncommon, and I've recorded a few of those in books I've done um, and in articles I've written. Yeah, I guess a a cabin is kind of like our childhood version of a fort, but realized yes. and with plumbing. Yes, you with, know, I, you know, and and some not with plumbing or <laughs> the outhouse or whatever nearby. But um, yeah, it, it might have some modicum of plumbing in it, some some way to heat it up, which maybe our little fort when we were a kid didn't <laughs> have either of those. Did you have a treehouse or a fort when you were growing up? I grew up on a farm. And uh, a fort might be a few bales of hay thrown together with a tarp over it or <laughs> something quite temporal. Um, and there were lots of places to go build in the, in the forest nearby. And so, yes, I, I had all kinds of inventions of space that, that were getaways to hide out so I wouldn't have to do the chores. <laughs> I wonder if that's something about the mindset of a cabin or a shed or anything that we get out of our normal space to go to a new space, do you think that makes people more creative? Do you think it frees frees us up emotionally? Well, I think when these environments are small enough, we imagine that maybe we can have a hand in making them Mm -hmm. because it's not a super task to do that. I'm always amazed as I drive to my cabin and I pull up behind a pickup truck loaded with things that are going to in someone's cabin, mm-hmm. whether it's a, a door they just pulled out of the church remodeling, or, <laughs> and I and, and I'm often tailgating, and my wife is is complaining that I'm too close to the back <laughs> of the pickup truck because I'm trying to figure out how in the heck are they going to put that thing in their cabin. So I think cabins have have some freedom of personal expression attached to them mm-hmm. that makes them special places. So you're inclined in a cabin to say cut the notches of the height of your children as they're growing you you know to score that in the in the door frame and you wouldn't do that in your house you know that would be that would be defacing your house in a way you wouldn't accept but in a cabin you're willing to do that see cabins are casual they are the taking off your pants as soon as you walk in the door vibe of the architecture world they allow us to dream of a life with fewer restrictions perhaps this is because there are fewer judgy neighbors in the middle of the woods maybe i don't know do you ever dream about cabins no i don't i don't dream very much about (laughs) cabins no it's not not a pervasive dream yeah i was just wondering i wonder if I have this dream okay tell me if you've ever had this where you're in your house or you're in some house that you live in or whatever and then you realize that there's a door or a cabinet that you've never noticed before and then there's another room or another area that you've never realized that you've had have you ever had that dream no, but no? I think we should talk about your dream for a while because it's <laughs> it's going to tell a lot about you. You know that I, I, there's this place you're trying to escape to, but I, I, you're just trying to escape to one of my cabins. I know. All. I there just want. I just really want a cabin. <laughs> okay, I looked this up. Virtually every decoding dream website seems to just plagiarize directly off each other verbatim. But apparently, this is a really, really common dream. It means that we're discovering new abilities and strengths within ourselves. Okay, so let's say this is not flim-flim and has some kind of psychological merit. I just decided to stare out the window for a minute and think, okay, what part of me am I neglecting truly? Like, let's get honest with myself. And the main thing that came to mind was just general grooming. But I think I also had these dreams more when I was working from home and just living in a studio apartment, which isn't quite like great dane spouse and baby level cramped but it's a little tight any hoozle dreams windows to your gross soul now speaking of windows when you are designing a cabin do you decide to face the windows a certain way or is it different for every oh (laughs) where do the windows go uh depends on the view depends Mm -hmm. on the sunlight so if you told me boy i really like waking up in the morning with sun coming in where i'm going to have my morning coffee well that's the east and or you know or, or there are trees over here that are going to block, you know, this kind of sun or whatever. So, yes, windows, window locations are extremely important. Uh, and um, here in the Midwest, we are putting our cabins quite often at lake on lakes. And I have 
to remind my clients that lakes are a horizontal view, not a vertical view. So we see a lot of people building cabins with very tall windows climbing up under the roof. For what? To see more and more and more sky, not more and more and more lakes. So um, horizontally banding windows here is great. Now, if I'm in the Rocky Mountains, their views are often very vertical, looking up, trying to catch the mountain peak. And then, then a different kind of architecture evolves out of it. Huh. That's so brilliant. That's so interesting to know. Anything in pop culture, any cabins that you've loved in movies or TV, or maybe like a cabin in the woods is always a scene for a horror setting. Oh, whoa. It's a cabin in the woods. We need to go hide over in there. Nah, man, I'm not going in there. It reminds me of a horror movie I once saw. What horror movie? The one with the cabin in the woods. How do you feel about how we see cabins? Well, oftentimes I think cabins are connected to some of the horror films, you know, that the, <laughs> the, the, they're out in that dark wilderness of <laughs> heavy forest and, and and or they're next to a lake and some somebody drowns or whatever. So they are often attached to that genre of, of movie in a way. Uh, there, there's certainly exceptions to that where the cabin is seen as a tranquil place of escape. Um, I don't think I have any singular cabin or the singular movie that jumps out at me and, you know, the, you know on Golden Pond. Or yes, something that like was going to be what I mentioned. You know. Okay, so On Golden Pond is a classic 1981 Academy Award darling starring Peter Fonda, Catherine Hepburn, and Jane Fonda. It involves a lot of sun shimmer on a lake, a lot of soft focus filters, some difficult family relationships, there's some emotional reflection, some struggle, there's some trout, some growth. Also, Catherine Hepburn wailing in ecstasy multiple times about loons. The loons. The loons. They're welcoming us back. I get it, Cat. Loons are tits. Which, yes, is an egregious ornithology pun. What about myths about cabins? What about something people misunderstand about cabins that you... Well, I think they 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 think they're not going to be high maintenance. <laughs> they, do, they, they do require levels of maintenance depending upon what you want to be there when you show up. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not in, inexpensive to make, uh, even though you might think, well, shouldn't something primitive and shouldn't I be able to find laborers in remote places that are going to work for dirt cheap? No, you know, almost anywhere today, you're going to pay pretty much the same price for a decent window and you're probably going to pay as much per hour for a, a craftsman in, in, in the woods as you would for a craftsman in the metropolitan area. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, those, those are probably a few of the myths. And is there an easiest type of cabin to make? Is it a log cabin? Is it a shed type of cabin? If someone is like, I'm desperate for a cabin, maybe don't have all the resources, what would you say is like an entry-level set up. Uh, creating a cabin that only has four corners <laughs> rather than 20 <laughs> is a good start. Uh, log construction is a possibility and certainly homeowners have educated themselves on how to do log construction and done it for themselves. It is a lot of unique attributes that people don't think about. It looks more attainable than it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot to learn about the nature of what happens to a tree after you cut it down and how it shrinks, oh. shrinks in diameter, not in length. And so you set log upon log upon log. They're all shrinking in diameter, which means your wall is starting to drop. Mm-hmm. And it will crush the top of the door, the top of the window, if you haven't designed it to take it. So, so th- there's a lot of nuance to log that people don't fully understand. Uh, you know, a, a little kid might have a Lincoln log set and think, well, that's a really easy way to build. But it's probably much more complicated than just a standard frame wall made out of two-by-fours. Did you ever see that PBS? Well, it was on PBS. But did you ever see, is it Dale Wernicke's Cabin in the Woods? It was good to be back in the wilderness again, where everything seems at peace. I was alone, just me and the animals. Oh, man. Oh, side note. Oops. I meant Dick Prenicky, 
not Dale Wernicke. Who's Dale Wernicke? I don't even know. Where? What the hell, Ward? Also, thanks to Jarrett Sleeper's very on-brand gift of this DVD set a few years ago, I own this in its entirety, and it's been a dream of mine to host like a screening party with a mandatory flannel dress code, friends all just hanging out, maybe silently whittling as we watch. But if you need some dick pernicky, ASAP. A quick Google will bring you to a YouTube clip of Alone in the Wilderness, which, by the way, has 11 million views. So apparently, we are just united in our lust for solitude. He's just filming himself on like an 8mm, 6mm, yeah. just hand-hewing. And right. you're just like, oh my god, how is he doing that? Yeah, it, it, to actually do logs and do them well so they're going to last is, is a skill that you don't get overnight. Mm -hmm. And I've certainly known plenty of people who have done their own log cabin. But I've also known a lot of people who might have done their own log cabin that had a lot of problems with it later because they didn't really understand some of the nuances. And on the other hand, in many of the areas of cabin world, there are log vendors who will do these things for you. And they will build the log cabin at their, what they call their yard, which is where they work in their place. And they, just, they dismantle the cabin and, and number the logs as they're dismantling them. And then they reassemble it on your site. Like a puzzle. Exactly. So it may take them five months to make the cabin in their yard, and, but then only three days to reassemble it on your site. Oh, wow. And, it, and they'll bring it all there in a big truck. Huh. And is there a cabin that you have on like a lifelong goal list that you really want to see some cabin on a cliff in Iceland or? Uh, no, not a singular uh, cabin. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I love the cabin experience. I, one of the fun things about being a cabinologist or someone who designs cabins is I often get to stay in the cabins that I've created for others. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty easy to ask a cabin owner who, for whom we've done a cabin to say, can I use this some weekend when you're not there? And I prefer the weekends when they're not there because I, I like bringing my wife along and she's my, one of my toughest critics, of course, <laughs> as spouses will be. And, and, uh, you know, I, but I, I like waking up in the morning and saying, how does this thing really work? Does mm -hmm. is the sun coming in where I thought it was going to come in? And, you know, how does it feel with the wind outside? So, uh, that's been a nice opportunity uh, in this line of work. Oh, man. Lesson, design things you want to use for yourself. It's sneaky, and I like it. And can I ask you some a couple of Patreon questions? Sure. Okay, great. Great. Okay, but before we get to your Patreon submitted questions, we'll take a break and chat about some sponsors that I really like. Uh, but before that, the sponsors make it possible to donate a portion of the ad proceeds to a charity of the ologist's choosing. And this week, Dale would like the episode to support the Clarence Wigginton Fund at the American Institute of Architects of Minnesota. So the Clarence Wigginton Minority Architectural Scholarship recognizes the extraordinary professional and civic accomplishments of the first African-American municipal architect in the United States. He was also the first licensed African-American architect in Minnesota. So the Clarence Wigginton Fund supports racial, ethnic minority students who have a specific interest in pursuing professional architecture degrees. And Dale adds that it's really well-administered and it assigns mentors to each recipient. So thank you, Dale, for that. And there's a link to find out more about that organization in the show notes. That's the Clarence Wigginton Fund at the AIA of Minnesota. Okay, so some ads from sponsors of Ologies. This podcast and my life is brought to you by Squarespace. Do you know that I didn't have a website for forever because I was putting it off because I was scared and then I heard another podcast talk about Squarespace. I was like, I'm going to give it a shot. I had a website up that day. They have beautiful templates. They host. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Look at me. Even I did it. You can sell products. You can sell your time. They have this guided design system. It's called Squarespace Blueprint. You can select from a layout. There are styling options. You can get your website discovered with these integrated, optimized SEO tools so people find you when they Google. They also have easy-to-use payment tools, so checkout, very easy for customers, which is what you want. There's also Squarespace AI, which can help you explain what your site is about. You can choose your tone. Whether you're a scientist who wants to share your work with the world, whether you are starting up a business selling tiny paintings of tiny books, or a choreographer selling dance classes, head to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash ologies to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. I recommend it to all my friends even when I'm not recording an ad. Okay. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Listen, we're all carrying around just a backpack of stressors and sadnesses. When we keep them all zipped up and the load gets heavier, it can start to affect us negatively. You start to feel misunderstood, sad, resentful. A safe place to unpack that is, you guessed it, therapy. Therapists can help you dump out your bag and work through the heavy garbage that's weighing you down, in my case at least. I've used BetterHelp. They have definitely helped me understand that pushing my feelings down does not actually make them go away. It makes them feel worse. So if you've been thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient and flexible. It's suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's so much faster and easier than trying to hunt down a therapist from just online listings and cold calling. That's one thing I love about BetterHelp. And if for any reason you are not vibing with your therapist, you can switch anytime, no additional charge, no drama. So unburden yourself and trauma dump onto someone who's trained for this. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash ologies today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash ologies. Oh, Kiwiko. We love you. Kids love you. Parents love you. Uncle Allie's love you. Here's the deal. So whether you're staying at home or you're heading out on some summer explorations, KiwiCo is inviting kids, also kids at heart, that's you, to enjoy their first ever summer adventure series. So kids from two years old to teens can receive six hands-on science and art project kits over six weeks. They have something for everyone. They have different topics for each age, whether your kid wants to explore space or learn about dinosaurs. And I've heard from my parental friends that summer can be a little challenging to keep the kids busy. Kiwi goes like, we did the legwork for you. And the Summer Adventure Series is this personalized experience with super fun activities like a bottle rocket kit where kids can build an actual bottle rocket. And you can either receive all of your summer adventure crates at once or weekly for six weeks. I think it's so amazing that they have different crates for different ages. Everything from the great outdoors that has like giant bubbles or a window garden to a trebuchet kit for ages 9 to 14. An entrepreneur where you can do textured clay projects. If you have kids, if you know kids, keep them occupied and learning and having fun this summer with KiwiCo. And you can get 20% off your summer adventure series at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. That's 20% off your summer adventure at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. Oh, have fun. Oh, hi, it's me, the lady that checks a bunch of scholarly articles before she believes anything. Allie Ward. And I feel like we are similar in that we have a fair amount of skepticism and we like to dive deep and find out what the actual facts are. This is why when it comes to any kind of supplements, I enjoy Ritual, which is a female-founded B Corp, meaning that they're holding themselves accountable to not just the company, but also to the health of people in our planet. And they're clinically backed essential for women at 18 plus multivitamin has these high quality, traceable key ingredients in bioavailable forms that are clean. Only about 1% of supplement brands are USP verified and Ritual is one of them. So I like being able to trust what I'm putting in my body. From an aesthetic standpoint, I'll also tell you that Ritual are beautiful little vitamins. They look like lava lamps and they taste like mint. So taking my Ritual is part of my, I guess, morning ritual. That's probably why they named it that and I didn't even think about it. Anyway, no more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. So get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash ologies. You can start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash ologies for 25% off. Down the hatch. Okay, so back to your questions. Now, this first one, think about falling asleep. It's summer. You're hearing crickets and water maybe lapping somewhere. Maybe a window's open, a little breeze. But you're under one of those heavy quilts that your aunt made in the late 80s out of old denim when she was going through a divorce. Okay. Ginger Nut wants to know, why do wood cabins seem like the coziest thing ever? What is it about wood that makes us feel cozy? Well, I think wood has variety built into it. It also feels like it's connecting us to the forest that might be right around it, mm. around us. So it might be a local wood. Uh, and it has a nice auditory characteristic. So it's a softening. It softens the sounds, uh, whether the sound is crackling fire or the chatter, the quiet chatter of the friend you're with. It's, and it's something pretty to look at. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it creates a nice background uh, to a, a warm, welcoming environment. Let's repeat that because it's like peak Huga cabinology vibes. So it's a softening. It softens the sounds, 
um, whether the sound is crackling fire or the chatter, the quiet chatter of the friend you're with. Sydney Brown wants to know, do cabin makers still utilize techniques that homesteaders used back in the day? Somewhat, mm-hmm. yes. Um, obviously, the logs, log building was common to homesteaders. I have a log cabin on my property that I use as a guest cabin, mm-hmm. and I'm quite certain that its original life was that of a settler's cabin. Mm-hmm. I don't think it actually was originally on my property. I think it was put on my, you know, was one of the things about logs is you can dismantle a log cabin and reassemble it in another location. Mm -hmm. And I think that happened with a lot of settler, early settler cabins. So in this area where there was a a preponderance of wood available within arm's reach practically of where settlers were coming in, they often built log structures. And some of our earliest cabins that we associate with getting away to Mm -hmm. kind of places were the recreation or actually the reuse of those early settler cabins. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay, now a quick aside here, because for all of the history of North American settlers, there's also the history of indigenous displacement and resource exhaustion and architecture borrowed from native customs. So that narrative is a huge part of American history and can't be ignored. I was doing a little more research. I just found a book through the University of Tennessee Press called Native American Log Cabins in the Southeast, which was published, no joke, last week. I looked at the publication date and I was like, June 2019, what? So good timing there. And it tracks the origins of Native American cabins and building traditions. They look at the Cherokee, Creek, Choctaw, and Catawba peoples. It also really interestingly looks at elements introduced by Africans and African Americans. And the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture has relocated plantation cabins used as slave quarters for exhibit as a reminder of our country's not too distant history. Also, speaking of not so great things. Where do cabins factor in the apocalypse? Mike Monikowski wants to know, what's the biggest obstacle of going off the grid if one wanted to do that? Water. Mm-hmm. What's your access to water? If you're off grid, are you going to be willing to have, a, say, a hand well or somehow treat water that you're getting out of a lake or stream? So that's probably one of the bigger challenge. Uh, toiletry, you know, what are you going to do about a bathroom or you're going to accept having an outhouse? And then bathing, uh, a lot of people who are off grid, w- w- in other words, they don't have power to, to, uh, run a well. Therefore, they're not going to have a bathroom in the same sense. And they will often use a sauna as a form of bathing. P.S. If you're in Minnesota or around a Finnish person, don't you dare say sauna. Just say sauna. Just say it with me, sauna. You're going to feel like a fraud, but you will avoid a lecture or correction. Also, many high fives to my sweet and gentle Innovation Nation producer, Stephanie Hamango, for teaching me about how much fans dig saunas. Winter, summer, you just go sweat it out in this wooden box. You beat yourself with a birch branch and jump in a lake. I'm so into it. Anyway. So they all have a modicum of water available somehow. They bring it with them, and that may be enough to take a steam, you know, a steam sauna. And that's this, the, so the sauna is really their form of bathing and cleanliness. And are there a lot of those up here in this? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There, there are a fair number of off-grid. We did one just recently, an off-grid cabin, and um, and it has a sauna, and it has an outhouse, and it has a hand pump well. Oh, what a dream. Um, and Jen Anathis wants to know, what uh, eco-friendly, upcycled, or non-traditional materials other than wood can cabins be made out of? And I guess we did actually kind of cover this because we talked about anything from containers. Right. Used. It can yeah. be made out of, of many, many different things from straw bales to uh, – and, and again, these are probably best if they're materials that are readily available to that region or area. So containers aren't the best product. If you're building, say, high on a mountain cliff in in Montana, because they're heavy and you have to have a big crane to lift them into place. So, um, but you can buy them dirt cheap. Um, you know, for a thousand dollars, you can have a a 20 by four, 20 by eight foot by eight foot container. Well, to get it on your property might cost you another 50,000 hours. So, and then you need a welding torch to open up a a window in it. Right. Um, That's a good point. Hey, hi, I looked this up for you, and you can buy a used 40-foot shipping container 
for less than the value of my 2007 Prius, which, if you must know, according to Kelly Blue Book, is less than $5,000. So soup up that container house! Maybe $20,000 later, you can live in it. Just don't adopt a Great Dane. Or if you do, just don't tell me about it, because I can't handle that stress right now. And Carolyn Butler wants to know, do you believe that cabins should A, be a minimalist escape from the modern world, or B, that they can include most, if not all, of the features of a modern home in a more compact form? So minimalist or... I think they can be either, and it really has to do with your proclivity for what you want there, what you need there, mm-hmm. what you feel comfortable with. Um, they certainly can be primitive, if you, particularly if you enjoy the outdoors and all you're really looking for is shelter up. Uh, you, know, the, you know that will warm you up a little bit and provide you a place to store a few articles and maybe some food. Then you really don't need much. But I, and a lot of early cabins really are just that. That is to say, they are just shelter. And it was kind of common to imagine you're going to be outdoors to, to snip the beans. You're going to be outdoors to chop the wood. So you're going to be outdoors a lot, and you're really just sleeping and maybe, maybe putting together a little bit of the food indoors, but you might actually be doing a fair amount of the cooking outdoors. Oh. So um, and that that was common with settlers' houses, where settlers' houses were primitive shelter, but a lot of their food prep and even some of the eating all occurred out of doors. So you know, if you're going to be indoors a lot, if you're going to use it in the winter a lot, then you probably need a few more uh, you know, facilities, and, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a bathroom, a <laughs> proper kitchen. Okay. What have we learned? sauntering into the summer in tiny pants, armpits out, just check your crevices. Also, the next question is about offsetting the energy you use by way of generating renewable energy. JCW wants to know, is it financially worth it to build net zero energy cabins? Which I don't really know what that is. Well, that depends on how you, uh, what kind of dollars you have up front. It's going to cost you more to build net zero but think of it as money that you're putting in up front that you'll save down line. Mm-hmm. But you have to have that money up front available to you. So uh, as I say, it depends on how you get your money as to whether or not you can afford to build the, the extra, do the extra finances up front versus putting them into mortgage and paying them off over time. Right. And yeah, if you have the money, you can, you can build net zero and save the those dollars down line. Mm-hmm. I guess, yeah, just what do you have in your pockets? And, um, I, and I think it might have to do with your lifestyle. A lot, of, a lot of saving energy has to do with making sure that you have a hands-on approach to being uh, a participant in how you use energy in your dwelling. You may think of it as passive energy, but it's maybe active in terms of your the need for you to participate in that, whether it's for you to chop the wood or for you to manage the thermostat through your iPhone or whatever, mm-hmm. in order for you to keep tabs on just how energy is performing in that structure. So you can't just build it and then let Walk it do away. the work. Right. You have to be active. Yeah, it can do some of that work, like the extra insulation you put on. It's like putting on a warm coat. You know, you can leave it on and you, you know, all you have to do is button it up. Mm-hmm. Some of the needs you have for for um, energy performance, such as for solar panels that have battery storage and things like that, do require maintenance. Okay. Just a little heads up, your grandpa dad sent me an article a few days ago about an Irish team of researchers who are using carbon nanotubes in batteries to increase energy storage capacity by 2.5 times. Everyone is just as hell about this. This is like a huge major leap. Hell yeah, nanotechnologist Valeria Nicolosi and chemical physicist Jonathan Coleman working on that. We all want better batteries. I owe you a margarita in a mug or a perfectly toasted marshmallow for that work. I think we covered a lot of these things already. So I'll ask the last two questions I always ask. Sure. What is the most annoying thing about your job? Is there anything about... Well, I have to do a lot of driving. Oh, I okay. Mean, I mean, I enjoy driving, mm-hmm. but um, but it is a lot of driving. So I put a fair amount of miles in my car. <laughs> um, and I certainly know the Midwest extremely well <laughs> because of all that driving. So, so, you know, sometimes having to drive four hours, five hours to a cabin site uh, and I never want to design anything where I don't see the land. I, I, you know, people will bring me pictures and they'll say, oh, we don't want to pay for you to go all that distance. And I'm sorry. Yeah. Land talks to me. And I, and more than, more than you, the owner, the land tells me a lot about what it is I need to do here. Mm-hmm. So I always want to go see land. Do you listen to audiobooks or? No, I listen to local radio stations a lot oh. and a lot of uh, public radio mm-hmm. uh, in various locales. And even though 
I'm, I would consider myself a liberal politically. I sometimes, the one and only time I'll listen to uh, conservative talk radio is when I'm driving, and I like to hear what the other side is talking about <laughs> and how they say it. Uh, so, whereas I'm not likely to listen to that at work or in my home. When you get to your cabin, then I guess you can decompress if it's been upsetting to you, right? <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, what What is your favorite thing about cabins or about what you do? Well, I really enjoy the act of creating something out of nothing, mm -hmm. standing in a piece of land, whether it's in the Rocky Mountains or in New England or here in the Midwest, and using only one's imagination while you're standing there trying to figure out, well, how should I create this thing? Standing there just daydreaming about or doodling and or pacing off saying, well, it could be in this direction. It would be about this big. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'd need to borrow a ladder and climb up this tree so I can see what the view's <laughs> like on the second floor. And that, that's to me the most fun part. Mm -hmm. um, is that very initial, as I say, going from nothing to something in one's imagination and then trying to record it at, you know, on a sketchbook or something so that, that you can start to manipulate it, that idea when you get back to your office. Or sometimes sitting at the local coffee shop not far from the cabin mm -hmm. and doing all one's doodles, um, you know, recording what you were thinking about when you were out in the land. I'm more, I'm more likely to do that, to record it quickly before I even get back to my home or office. Do you give the cabin owners those sketches? Sometimes. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, I usually have nothing against giving it to them. <laughs> I sometimes forget about giving it to them, but, but most of them certainly appreciate when you do. And, and then fairly early on, we, I make little cardboard models. Mm -hmm. And, and that's many of my cabin owners now have those models sitting in their cabin somewhere. No, I think it, it would be great to have that too at your desk at work, just so you have that to think of. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, we make a lot of <laughs> models in our office, and it's usually the designer themselves who makes the models. And not like we, we're not hiring, say, student interns to make models. We models are, are are like our doodles. They're a form of our own artistic expression. This has been such a dream. Thank you so so much. Your work is so. I was wondering gorgeous. if you'd like one of my books. Oh, I would start crying. I All would right. love well, that. I'll, oh my god. It's all yours oh. and if you want me to sign it, I'll do that too. Uh, duh. Yes. Oh, okay. this is so exciting. Thank you so 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 right. much. <laughs> what a dream. So get yourself in the presence of an expert and then ask smart people giddy stupid questions all you want. And then maybe go in with some pals, save up for a night or two away if you can, or you can crash a friend's family reunion. If there are enough relatives, they may not even notice. That would happen at mine. So to learn more about Dale Mulfinger, go find his wonderful books. Just Google Cabinology. It's going to lead you down a little sunny, leafy path right to him. So his architecture firm is Sala, and they're on Instagram at Sala Architects. And I'll link that in the show notes, along with all the sponsor and donation links. And there are more links up at alleyward.com slash ologies slash cabinology. We are at ologies on Instagram and Twitter. And I'm at Allie Ward with one L on both. You can do follow. Say hi. Uh, this week, especially, I get to reunite with toothologist Sarah McAnulty from the Squid episode and coloniologist, aka Sertle expert, Cameron Allen for a science trip to Hawaii with Atlas Obscura. So you're going to find some fun posts this week, including some nighttime bobtail squid dives on my Instagram and on the Ologies Instagram. So do go there if you please. Um, I'm also naturally taking my recording equipment to hopefully get a few episodes in when I'm there. Um, thank you to Shannon Feltis and Bonnie Dutch of the podcast You Are That for managing ologiesmerch.com where you can get summer bathing suits with the Ologies logo on your butt and t-shirts and stuff. Thank you to Aaron Talbert and Hannah Lippo for adminning the Facebook Ologies group. Uh, thank you, Jared Sleeper, for supporting my love of cabins and for doing assistant editing on this. And to editor... The Hearthstone, Stephen Ray Morris for stitching together all these sound clips every week. Uh, Nick Thorburn wrote and performed the theme music. And now if you listen through to the credits, you know I tell you a secret at the end. And this week's secret is number one, I didn't have a secret. I was like, I don't have a secret for this week. I'm trying to think. But I'm now I have one. So I decided to record this in a different closet because I moved. And so I'm in this little closet with some recording equipment and some foam up on the wall like 
in not a permanent way. And I was like, this is gonna be great. And I started recording this and I'm sweating so hardcore right now. This might not be a good idea. I don't know what I'm gonna do. It's very warm in here. Please cross your fingers. I find a better solution. Okay, that is all. Go out, have fun. Toast a marshmallow, tell some secrets, and have a good summer. I will be back next week with a new episode. Okay, bye-bye. Pachydermatology, homeology, cryptozoology, lithology, nanotechnology, meteorology, Friday the 13th? No. The one with the cabin in the woods. Texas Chainsaw Massacre? No. The one with the cabin in the woods. Rain? Uh-uh. The one with the cabin in the woods. Blair Witch Project? No, man. The one with the cabin in the woods. The monsters. That wasn't in the woods. That wasn't even a damn movie. Look, man. We ain't got time for this shit right now. We need to get to that cabin in the woods. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.